immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hello, and welcome back to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 76, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell. In the previous episode, I spoke to the core team at AudioCynic, learning about their journey as a company and about their technology. In this second part, I continue my conversation with R&D lead Dan Wallace as we explore if the personalized HRTF is still applicable and indeed essential for binaural audio over speakers. And we also talk about the future roadmap of AudioCynic entering the markets of home cinema and automotive. Later, I also speak to the sound designers, Joe Guarini and Martin Riga, sharing their personal experience working on this technology. Now, back to the interview. Personalized HRTFs are really interesting and, and very hot at the moment, and, and for good reason. There's some very well-regarded studies being done that personalized head-related transfer functions and personalized headphone EQ are very important things for giving a, a very real uh, spatial presentation. What we did already scenic is solving a slightly different part of the problem. So with something like converting from an object-based audio stream into a binaural stream for consumption over headphones, that is a content generation problem. That is, how can I reproduce my recorded scene or my uh, imagined scene uh, in a way which is realistic uh, and has meaning for my listener? And then if you stop at that point and then deliver that binaural content over headphones, then the personalization gives you that extra 5% on the top of a generic HLTF. When you're doing binaural delivery over loudspeakers, you can also include that personalized HLTF in there. So in part of our algorithm, we use head-related transfer functions to model the way the sound travels from the speakers in the array to the user. And because we have a camera pointing at the user for the head tracking, uh, that we can get also information about the user, not specifically detail about the shape of the ear, like are in, in some systems. Uh, but there's there's things that we can tell uh, about the user, which may be beneficial uh, into further personalizing the, the binaural delivery. But we don't need to do that. Um, and part of the, the magic of the way our system works is it doesn't need calibration. You don't need to take a picture of your ear and upload it to the cloud to make our system work. It's enough to know the location of the center of the user's head uh, and maybe which direction they're facing. And then if you have personalized content, then we can deliver that as close as you like, and you still get the benefits of having personalized content, even if the reproduction side isn't necessarily personalized to you. There are always two parts of this process when you have a loudspeaker-based uh, binaural delivery system, uh, like crossdoor cancellation, where you have to get the content from somewhere, and so there will be some HRTF or some BRIR which is used to create that, that content. You know, Maybe it's a, a dummy head recording. That dummy head has an HRTF. If you deliver that over loudspeakers to another user, then that also involves an HRTF. Those two don't necessarily need to be matched, but if they are, maybe it adds an extra 5% to the experience. In my personal experience, I found that personalized HRTFs 
make a small difference. I think, you know, as someone who's played around making binaural content for demos that we do at Audio Scenic, because I'm already listening over a loudspeaker array, uh, that does make a, some of the very, very fine details that you get when listening to binaural over headphones and comparing HLTF presentations that way. You don't necessarily get that same uh, increment when you listen over speakers compared to when you listen over headphones. You know, some of the best headphone-based binaural demos that I've heard uh, from other places have involved doing in the room a uh, HLTF measurement um, and including my own personal HLTFs and then including very fast head tracking, um, getting dynamic binaural cues uh, based on the direction that you're looking and uh, your position relative to the the world you're trying to, to simulate. That's as important, if not more important, um, than getting the right HLTF. So I'd say, yeah, dynamic binaural cues and, and head tracking is going to give you a better experience than if you just have a, a static binaural presentation with the right HLTF in quotes. Can you talk about your projects for the automotive space and how you see your tech improving some of those long-standing limitations related to the car audio? Last year, we took part in uh, an automotive audio project. Uh, so this is with uh, a tier one automotive supplier. So this is a, a company who provides uh, loudspeakers, amplifiers, other uh, sensors and other things for uh, to go into cars. And they work with, with all the big brands and they do all the tuning and then the ones they're particularly proud of, then they get badged up into high-end cars, uh, luxury cars. So we were doing a project with them and the idea was to investigate the, the feasibility into putting our head tracked crosstalk cancellation system inside a car. The reason being we want to deliver individual listening zones to different passengers inside the car, which is one of those kind of holy grail things in uh, in automotive audio is having everyone sat in the car and everyone listening to different music. We're not quite there yet, but what we did uh, manage to, to develop was a system uh, alongside uh, some of the technology that they had was to deliver head tracked binaural navigation instructions to the driver of the car um, in such a way that all of the other passengers in the car uh, were unable to, to hear those and be distracted by those. And so the driver would be driving along listening to music with the rest of the people in the car and then the, it would be time for the, the sat-nav to, to give its directions and there would be a spatial hole in the, in the mix corresponding with the, the driver's seat so the driver would hear the music dim, they would hear turn left and then the sound would come from their left-hand side uh, and then the music would rise back up again and they would be uh, back in and, and listening to the music and from the perspective of the passenger they would hear no difference uh, in the audio that they would hear. I'm really kind of proud of uh, what we were able to do. We needed to use a lot of speakers in the car to, to make it happen with small arrays uh, located up near the sun visor in the headrests as well as conventional speakers uh, around in the car but it worked and uh, this company we're impressed with the way the the things that we're able to do and the advantages that you're able to get from using head tracking uh, because of the the size of the sweet spot that you need to control is is constrained to where the listener's ears are rather than be anywhere where the person can move you know if they move their seat forward or backwards or if they're tall or short because you get that information from the camera as to exactly where their ears are you have a much finer target and it makes the control problem a little bit easier um, if you are aiming for a spot which is exactly where the ears are and so this company's agreed to to fund uh, another project to continue investigating that and to try and put it into another demo vehicle um, uh, with a view that uh, our technology will be part of the uh, suite of products that they uh, are able to put forward to, to auto manufacturers. And we have a parallel project, um, which is uh, funded by the UK government under Innovate UK, which is also looking into uh, doing 
similar things. So using all our own technology uh, to control sound in the car to deliver multi-zone audio. And that gives us the, the flexibility to, to try out lots of new things. And we've got uh, a bit of lab space that we've now got uh, where we can put a car in a garage and rig it all up with speakers and microphones and, and do lots of testing there. If you follow me, I would like to show you another space uh, that does not exist, but that is going to become important. And is that, uh, as we mentioned, we are also doing uh, projects in automotive audio to give a spatial audio to the different occupants of the vehicles and to create independent listening zones. So if you look there, you see this white car. We started working in this car and we developed a project. We're giving spatial audio to the two front occupants and independent listening zones. The car was on the street. It was very hard. We needed to work when it wasn't raining, when it wasn't very cold or when it wasn't very hot. But uh, recently we've been very lucky and we've been able to um, win an Innovate UK grant. And this is uh, giving us funds to, the, to continue our development in automotive audio. And there is this site here that is on construction and we are going to have a workshop there where we will be able to place cars and continue doing this job. And it's this building that you can see there in the corner here in the University of Southampton Science Park in Chilworth, Southampton. That's a long-term project. There's lots to learn from that. One thing we've, um, we know and we've, we've put into practice from our previous automotive project is looking at more different ways of doing loudspeaker modeling and transfer function modeling from speakers to ears. Because if you're working in the cramped constraints of a car, there are simple techniques in, in transfer function modeling which are um, not very useful in that space. And so what it made us do is, as an R&D team is to develop some new algorithms for um, for simulating and, and modeling those transfer responses. And they are applicable in our desktop products or our home cinema products as well. We're using this very challenging acoustic environment of a car to, to sharpen our minds a bit and have us uh, come up with solutions uh, which are uh, not relying on being out in relatively open space of, of working in a room. Cars are horrible places to work in terms of uh, getting anything done with regard to sound field control because you have a very cramped space that's modal up to pretty high frequencies. You've got a mixture of very soft things like chairs and very hard things like windows in very close proximity to each other. You can't put the speakers where you want them to be. There's all sorts of challenges there. Um, you know, and from a head tracking point of view as well, uh, you may think that when you're sat in the car, you're strapped in, your, your head doesn't move around a lot. But the amount of tuning that needs to happen for even different seating positions and the amount of effort we, we saw these people uh, going into to get a tuning for a car audio system that works for tall drivers and short drivers and the seat in different positions, this kind of thing. Uh, what they told us was because the head tracking gives you delivery at the ears of the user, they could uh, massively reduce the amount of uh, tuning effort that needed to go into that because you tune for the listener position and then regardless of where that listener is or who that listener is, if they're tall or short, etc., then the tuning remains uh, fairly constant. So that's a, a kind of almost an unexpected benefit that we, we didn't realize was a, such a big deal. But because we're doing that control very close to the ears of the listener, it means it makes it easier for system integrators uh, to tune a system to, to sound good uh, because at this point you're only interested in the, the position of the ears of the listener rather than trying to aggregate over a large range of positions. How far can you go with all the different types of technology that are part of your current system makeup? How difficult would it be to continue to innovate and improve whilst facing the physics limitations at some stage? My biggest task as uh, the team leader for the research and development uh, side here at Audio Scenic is working out what is a fundamental problem that is just 
physics is in the way and we can't get around this and what is a solution that we can have a have a crack at getting a good algorithm to solve um we're already trying to to stop the mixing of sound in the environment this with crosstalk cancellation and we're able to do a pretty good job of that over a frequency range of interest but there are uh, certain things that are still uh, currently out of our reach um with the the set of uh, products that we've got out so far. So our first product is a desktop gaming soundbar. The the form factor and the tracking solution that are on there means that it works well for the environment that it's set up to be in, as in someone sitting gaming at a desk. So the range is one and a half meters uh, maximum or maybe two meters. And if you're getting much further away from that, then because of the size of the array uh, and the number of speakers which are built into that particular product, it means that the crosstalk cancellation becomes uh, much more challenging to do. And so if we want to penetrate the home cinema market or the console gaming market where you're working on much longer ranges, then what we need to do is, is understand how far can we push our technology to be both from a tracking point of view and also from a from an audio rendering point of view of can we accurately enough determine the position of a user and can we do accurate enough beamforming into the space that will mean that we can deliver crosstalk cancellation and, and independence between the left and right ears in the same way or similar way than we can do when we're working in the near field. So that's a big challenge um, and it's one of the reasons why we're uh, expanding into new lab spaces. So we're recording this in a newly fitted out uh, home cinema lab uh, where we're setting up a, a reference system with 7.1.4 and we're going to put our soundbars against that. And I'm busy designing a, an audio signal flow that will let us do fast A-B switching between where we can compare directly the 7.1.4 reference home cinema system against one of our soundbars. So we can then say, okay, I'm going to put some audio as an object in. It's going to decode it to a particular uh, vector-based amplitude panning or something like this to say, this is where my speaker system is, is putting that sound relative to me. And then we can see whether we can deliver that same effect or similar using a soundbar. And that way, uh, in this new lab space that we've got, we can really test these things. Uh, we have a dedicated space to do it in. Uh, previously, we, we've had one lab which has been uh, filled up with stuff and is, is used for, for all sorts of things. And it really hasn't got the even just the size uh, to, to be a really good place to be doing experiments into doing this long-range crosstalk cancellation. And... We're making the room with uh, variable acoustics. We've got lots of um, curtains which we can pull back and things uh, so we can see what the effect of the room is because as we get further away uh, from the source, even a directional source like a loudspeaker array, then we end up with uh, more effect of the room arriving at our listeners' ears compared to the, the sound which we're directly controlling from the speakers. There's other things you can do, like using the beamformer to focus sound at the walls. That's what uh, some other, um, I say competitors, maybe uh, people who are on a, on a parallel track to us. Um, other soundbars are, are trying to do this, uh, where we focus sound at the walls uh, to try and increase the apparent source width um, or have the, the simulation of, of surround speakers. We want to see, uh, you know, we have an array, we can, we can do that too, and we can uh, develop different ways of doing that uh, to differentiate ourselves, potentially using the fact that we know where the user is with our tracking system um, to, to maybe shape that. But ultimately what we want to do is, is design a, a flexible space where we can do this work. And because we've got a larger team now, we've got uh, a bit more space to work. It means that we can have this project running with a couple of dedicated people who are working on it rather than uh, what's been happening in the last uh, year or so, which is we've had so much interest and so many products coming in that you do one week of one thing, one week of another thing, and the long-term projects get pushed to the side. So I'm quite excited to be able to, to prioritize some solid time on this 
and that way hopefully try and uh, solve some of those questions uh, getting back to your question on distinguishing between what is a fundamental physical problem that we're we're not going to solve by clever signal processing and what is something which is within reach Next, I spoke to Joe Guarini, whose role is to drive and test audio scenic technology with the content. I'm Joe Guarini, uh, creative director with Audio Scenic. And in a nutshell, uh, my passion is helping people realize the capabilities of uh, the stunning realism of 3D audio. And in my role with Audio Scenic, I get to do that by um, creating sound experiences for people that aim to truly put them in a different place. My expertise is in coming up with those experiences in my head and then finding or creating sounds that I want people to hear. And then I'm able to put those sound points around people's heads however I want and then watching people's reactions um, to that binaural audio. And so um, for Audio Scenic, I've been helpful in finding the right content to fit the specific market we're targeting at the time, whether that be for you know store kiosks or home theaters video conferencing, uh, car interiors, etc. And oftentimes people have a hard time imagining how 3D audio would sound in different scenarios or locations. And I make that easier for audiences by demonstrating that for them. And Audio Scenic, um, you know, they're the, they're the scientists, right? You know, uh, we have a lot of great people uh, who started uh, on the nuts and bolts side. Uh, my job is a little easier in that I'm taking the tools and things that smart people like them have already developed and um, joining up with Audio Scenic has empowered me to um, make sure all those important boxes are checked that really tickle people's ears to hit home that realism. How did you approach the content aspect to demonstrate the capabilities of the soundbar through sound design? Yeah, that's a great question. How do you market an immersive 3D soundbar to people who don't have one? <laughs> right? Well, a part of my job was to figure that out with Audio Scenic. And uh, you know, if someone's just at home or traveling or... Um, browsing on a mobile device they need to be instructed to put on headphones in order to hear the 3d effect you know if they don't have the technology they don't have the soundbar right so the first thing i needed to do to make content was to really get familiar with the sound signature of our product and just get used to hearing it and um, what that sounds like to me and then i would know then being familiar with the genuine how to simulate that right with my so to speak counterfeit so then I mix a binaural track so that it sounds just like the soundbar does, but designed for headphones users so that we can market to people uh, who don't have the product yet, right? Because ideally, you know, we'd invite people to our, our showroom to say, all right, sit down and, and all that great stuff and hear it for yourself. But not everyone obviously has that luxury to do that. So this is the next best thing, right? To play it back on headphones and it does a pretty good job. Um, the next best thing would be to sit in front of an actual product of ours, and then record that experience with binaural microphones in your ears, and then play that back over headphones. It does a pretty decent job of that too, but um, custom mixing a track into binaural um, with the original stems and all that, um, that's the best way to go. But that's how we simulate the experience to users the best we can until they're actually sitting there. But obviously nothing is as profoundly impactful as sitting in front of the actual soundbar. Because you hear the subwoofer, you feel the experience, you feel the depth of it, um, along with the video that you're watching. Was there anything you recall specifically that you found unique uh, when it comes to working with binaural audio with the soundbar? Over the years, you will learn certain things about uh, what does translate very well binaurally 
um, and what stuff does not. Lower frequencies uh, aren't as easily locatable in the brain when you have your eyes closed as much as high pitch or um, higher frequencies. So when I was selecting something that would have elevation in addition to uh, movement, particularly something that would go behind your head, and our brains just aren't wired to hear things very well over stereo in 3D without some assistance and giving people visual cues. If you see something panning to the left and then disappearing and then continuing to travel, you know that it's going to be behind your head. You know, So we're kind of giving people the tee off of what to expect. And then when they hear it, they believe it. Uh, but with that drone sound that you heard, it's almost like a, a you know a high pitch propeller sound that you're hearing, right? And uh, I chose that frequency sound because it would do a really good job of um, tricking the brain into thinking, all right, this is really something that's happening. Like, for example, another good track that Audio Scenic has used over the years has been uh, this track of a dinosaur walking around the listener but I chose to have it be a gravel ground. So when this animal or beast is walking around, you're hearing the more or less higher pitch sound of uh, steps on gravel rocks and instead of just, you know, a thud, right? So it's little things like that that I keep in mind as I design things so that we're not losing the audience. Within your role of focusing on the content side of things, what was the biggest challenge you faced since joining the company? Uh, I, I'd say that one of the biggest challenges is that we've faced since joining Audio Scenic has been getting people excited about it when the audience thinks that they've already heard great 3D sound. Uh, because there's a plethora of, you know, a million examples out there of terrible 3D sound. And when people think they've heard it or they've heard it, you know, over loudspeakers um, instead of over headphones, you know, um, people think they've heard the best that there is as far as examples of binaural. Most people confuse surround sound with VR slash ambisonic sound, and they confuse binaural with stereo panning and so forth. And the sound industry has gotten people, you know, over the years confused over those terms a bit, and things have gotten a bit muddled. Um, now I could try and explain that surround sound can represent audio in a circle around you, but it can't put sounds close to you, like a bee buzzing on your shoulder, and binaural sound can do that. People only seem to fully understand the differences when they hear it for themselves um, the right way. But since I can't really invite the world to my living room to hear my setup, um, we just will continue to fully instruct people how to get good demo using headphones. You know, So most of my videos that I have on my YouTube channel showing my content will say, make sure you're wearing those headphones because if you're not, you're going to lose that effect. Nothing against surround sound. It has its place, but when it comes to realism, um, and think gamers in different uh, markets are seeing this now too. Um, that localization is is really key, and not only localization, but also proximity when it comes to sound and elevation. And these things uh, just can't be produced by traditional speakers. What mostly excites you about this new paradigm of working in this potentially new format uh, available for the immersive content creators? Yeah, I think uh, what excites me the most is the different avenues and markets that our technology can go to. Our team is full of people uh, thinking about this in different ways so that we can not miss any good opportunities. One great example I've seen with binaural has been in um, arcade game usage. Like there's this Japanese arcade game called Silent Scope of Bone Eater, and it incorporates binaural audio fans that blow in your face to simulate breeze, haptics for recoil, you know, it was a stunning experience. But, you know, if you move your head to the side a bit, you're out of the sweet spot. 
So we had, you know, it doesn't match the technology that we have yet, but it's an opportunity, right? In gaming, in arcades, in, you know, slot machines, you know, the, the checkout line when you're waiting to pay for advertisers to use, you know, there's all these different ways that it can be used. Interiors of cars, right? Um, for people listening in, in the interior of a car. It's, it really is a, a green field, really, because the adoption of binaural is so small that when people start hearing it for real, it really is going to be stunning. And uh, Disney has been pretty good in the 90s about using binaural and showing different ways that it can be used. But, you know, the last 20 or 30 years, no one's really picked it up um, on a wide scale. Um, that has been something that someone could think off the top of their head, oh, yeah, great binaural. I know exactly what that sounds like. And this company did it great here. Uh, so I feel like there's a great opportunity for us to carve our name into the experience like that for people and uh, make a name ourselves as the continuing industry leader in that space. Next, I spoke to sound designer from Bavaria, Martin Rieger, who also runs a blog on spatial audio called VR Tonum and who was one of the early testers of the soundbar. I really wanted to hear his first impressions. Hi, I'm Martin Rieger, sitting here in Munich in my studio and I'm focusing on immersive audio. I'm focusing on binaural work for storytelling, I would say. Telling stories more from the film background, which is my origin. I don't focus on music, despite I add my two cents on the discussion every now and then on Dolby Atmos and everything. But I'm more familiar with 360 videos and uh, more cinematic VR experiences. Dolby Atmos is important, but not in my world, to be honest. So I focus on way different approaches where I think spatial audio um, has a place to be and even can overcome boundaries that stereo can't. But I figured it's nice to know everything about spatial audio for me, but it's hard for other people to understand what the hell are we even doing. So I figured I should uh, do a blog and uh, post <laughs> fairly regular, which is super time-consuming, but uh, as you are running a podcast, I, I feel you, uh, the effort that has to be put in. And uh, I try to break down immersive audio as simple as possible and don't talk to the technology too much because I feel this is the common mistake we do in the audio engineering. We like technology, but um, there's so much talk about HRTF and what compressor to use with Dolby Atmos and whatnot. But I feel like that most of the people don't care and don't even understand what we are doing. So this is what I try to do better and really break down use cases, uh, think of stuff that maybe wouldn't have worked um, in stereo and where 3D audio now has its time to shine. I remember Marcos wrote me a mail and told me, oh, we have this soundbar prototype and I'm sure it's interesting for you. And I was like, yeah, I don't really have time. But I said yes anyways. And I was happy I did because it really changed how I think about binaural audio. We all know binaural audio is literally just for headphones. And suddenly there's the soundbar, which can have the same effect of sound coming from the side, from the back, having it externalized. But it's coming from from a speaker. Um, so I messed around with the prototype back then and showed it to different people also who are not part of the audio field and everybody was super impressed, including myself. 
the setup I had back then had to be run with an external laptop. So there was quite of quite a lot of cables to plug in. And so I was like, okay, what is this going to be like? So my expectations, to be honest, were not too high. But then I played one of the demos, which was called something like 7.1 demo. And I got like a minor heart attack because something was happening behind me. And I looked at the soundbar and was like, how? And I got in contact with Audio Scenic and was like, okay, so what's the rendering like? So you had like a 7.1 and I guess you have some sort of algorithm to make it binaural, to make it work for the beamforming. And he was like, no, it's basically like a dummy head recording we did in the studio. <laughs> and I was like, how is that supposed to work? We all know about personalized HRTFs and how important it is. And suddenly this thing makes it work for everybody. And this is what kind of blew my mind because there is so much focus on personalized HRTFs. And suddenly it's not as important anymore, I guess. As well as using the prototype uh, as a playback option for, I don't know, leisurely activities that you've tried. Have you actually explored how could you integrate it into your professional workflow as an additional playback tool along with the headphones, for example? So right now they're using it for gaming most of the time, which is a perfect use case because gamers sit in front of a monitor most of the times with like a one meter distance, which is perfect for the beamforming. I would have wanted to use it for my living room to watch films and stuff, but that's not how it works. I mean, the Razer Soundbar has a feature where you can switch off the binaural mode and add stereo or something like room stereo sounds. So you can use it as a normal speaker, but obviously that's not um, the purpose of it. So I think the gaming for consumers, not making them wear headphones all the time is already a, in, an interesting use case. But now I have the soundbar in my studio and I'm like, okay, now what to do with it? And what I figured is, I, I'm sure you can relate, that working with binaural audio is so difficult because you can choose so many sets of HRTFs and they all kind of don't really sound right. Sometimes you have a sound that maybe works externalized, but then you try another HRTF and suddenly it all sounds mono or just off. And I felt with the soundbar, I could judge if the externalization works or not way better than just flipping through different types of HRTFs. So this is what I'm investigating right now to have yeah, a different set of reference for binaural work. So what I used it for mainly was to also go on YouTube and basically check the work of other people claiming to be 3D audio. And I was like, how 3D audio is it? Because we all know it, we have our preferred reference headphones and we kind of know how it's supposed to sound like. But with this soundbar, I felt like I could judge it more distinguished. Like I had another reference that I could rely on. And this is what I was using it for uh, with some of the mixes that I was doing. Well, as you know, wearing headphones all day can be quite exhausting and painful <laughs> at the worst. Uh, so having a possibility to switch to something else that's not a headphone is uh, like a pleasant surprise. Um, I figured that... Some of the sounds work better, some do work worse. It's really hard to judge. And when you are used to normal headphones, you go through a mix and think, oh, this kind of works nice. And then you suddenly switch to the soundbar and then you 
find like holes where you think, oh, this is somehow mono, I guess. Maybe I should do something else and tweak the sound. Maybe use another spatializer, maybe add more reverb to really make the sound work not only for me on my headphones with my HRTF, but also for a consumer product. And this is what it is. It is something that's not really meant for audio engineers. We really think about all our tools, but in the end, we don't produce content for ourselves. We produce it for the consumers. So having this reference to give a, to, yeah, to have the feeling of how would it sound in a normal living room or gaming room, I think is really helpful. When people listen to binaural audio, you don't really know what headphone are they listening to. And you can get rid of some of the factors like HRTF. I mean, Dolby Atmos is using the same HRTF most of the time, but still you don't know which headphone the people are using. But knowing that people are working with such a soundbar, you can kind of make the mix for a bigger audience than just roundabout the people that has this certain type of uh, headphone. I like to use Sound ID, which is making my headphones linear, for example, and also my studio. I think there are similar products that do the same thing. And I like to use it to switch between my speakers here and also switch between headphones because then they all sound similar, right? Now I can also add the soundbar to Sound ID and I can switch to the soundbar and to my speakers back and forth and also to my headphones, which is a nice workflow. But I can't do the measurement that I would love to do with SoundID because uh, the soundbar is too small to be measured with the workflow that they have, for example. So what I did right now is do a little bit of tweaking, like um, measuring it with my dummy head, checking, okay, where do I have to add something? Where do I have to uh, decrease something to have a somewhat linear experience, which is what I want usually for all my mixes. But then, of course, it has those presets for music and films and just see what it does. And uh, this is how you can use it, um, but not on the professional level, I suppose, that you want to have in a studio. And as we're closing on the second part of this episode, I wanted to ask Marcos and the team on what is ahead of AudioCynic going forward into the future. This year, 2023, was a key for AudioCynic because we reached our most important milestone, which is the release of our first product. This is the Razer Leviathan B2 Pro. It was released at this year's the Consumer Electronics Show. The soundbar got 12 awards at the show. It was the Razer product with most awards. And this is great because it's a product that now people can buy with our technology. It's in the market. For what it is, it's affordable. It's um, 400 British pounds. It's around 420 US dollars. For us, it's great to be working with Razer because they are a leader in the sector of gaming accessories. And they are associated with innovation in gaming. So for us, it was so so great that we could work with them, you know, because they have released this soundbar, which we want to believe that is a great innovation for the world of spatial audio. And that's very important because spatial audio is very important for games, really to be immersed in the game, or if you're in the case of first-person shooter, to know where your enemies are coming from. And now we can reproduce that with a soundbar. People don't have to wear headphones. So that was great. And really for us, the ability to work with Razer, I think is one of the best first customer that we could aim for. One of the things we say in AudioCynic is that the future is spatial. The future of audio is spatial. And in the future, we're going to consume audio that we're already doing with uh, wearables, 
you know, you go to the tube in London, uh, four out of 10 people or more are using AirPods. So either with wearables or we say with one system enabled with our technology. And that's why, because the use of our technology allows you to hear naturally, which is in the end, all of us listen in binaural, all of us listen with two ears. So any situation that can benefit of having a special sound is applicable to our technology. So we started working in gaming because gaming is great because most games have spatial audio center. So we started working in gaming soundbars. We want to progress towards gaming laptop because you can use your gaming laptops and the laptop can have like a miniature soundbar, you know, that can radiate uh, 3D sound to you basically, and with your laptop, you can have a very immersive uh, sound stage. From gaming laptops, ideally, we would like to have that in, in all laptops because many people use their laptops to watch Netflix. Netflix has a 5.1 sound, so if we can basically reproduce 5.1 with a laptop, why not? And then from Netflix, I will go to home cinema. One of the things and why we originally started working on this technology when we were in the research program is to have a real home cinema. You can hear a lot of speakers. You can hear Dolby Atmos with speakers above you, with speakers behind you, with speakers on the sides, just with a soundbar, because that becomes very practical for many people that cannot put uh, surround systems at home. Maybe in some big houses in the US, they can do that. But in Europe or in Asia, that's not possible. Then teleconferencing. One of the things that we are promoting, which is already enabled by some platforms like Dolby.io, is spatial teleconferencing. And that means that you are looking at the participants of a video call, but can acoustically locate where they are. And this is something that helps a lot with understanding when people are talking at the same times and make the conversation much more natural. And this is something, for example, very important to the metaverse. We don't know what is the metaverse, but it should be something virtual and it should be something natural. So it has all these uses. And from there, we would like to see our technology in TVs. You know, you could have a TV with an embedded soundbar that would radiate 3D sound, even in automotive. One of the other things that I'm not touching a lot of what our technology enables, we do sound field control, sound field control, which is user adaptive. One of the things that we can do with sound field control is create directional sound. And that means sound that is tailored to people. And that has even applications in automotive where you can create different zones of sound inside a vehicle. That means that, for example, I am the driver, I'm listening to the GPS, the other passengers in the car are, are not listening to that. So it really has lots of applications. And this is what we would like to see with AudioScenic. We would like to see our technology employed in a wide range of use cases that produce spatial sound or personal sound, sound which is tailored to a given user. I think for AudioScenic, we want to build on the start that we've already made. I think we've got off to a very solid start with the technology. And I think there's there's obvious commercial things you can do. You can expand in terms of making more expensive versions, making cheaper versions. And, and that's part of what we want to do because we don't see this as a technology that's only for super high end. It's for lots of, lots of different uh, places in the market. So we want to do that. And we also want to move into these other adjacent markets that I described because we, we see ourselves as experts in this technology, not experts just in making soundbars or just in making car audio. It's experts in this type of rendering that uh, gives listeners a, a whole new experience. I think uh, one thing that's uh, that maybe is different from <laughs> from my view in this and Marcus and the other guys in the company, I've come from a background where I started previous audio companies and we, we touched on 3D audio in some of those, those businesses. Uh, in the early 2000s, 3D audio was being used, but it never really quite became established and was widely used. I think now it's becoming much more established. It's being widely promoted by big companies. I think this technology that we have is extremely timely uh, and it reinforces that uh, that wider use. 
So from my personal experience, it, this is brilliant because I've done some of this before, but it was sort of like unfinished business. I think this is a, a really great technology now that can finally establish uh, this kind of audio experience and make it available to everyone. Futures roadmap of Audiocynic, I would like to really personally that we become a successful startup, you know, but what I really would like to, to see, our vision, is that we can promote spatial audio. That spatial audio becomes something which is easy, practical, and widely accepted. It becomes a, a thing that is a everyday thing for the users. We would like that you open your laptop, and because you open your laptop, you can hear the spatial audio, you can listen to spatial audio, and, the, and we would like to be the providers of this experience. And for AudioCynic, what we do as a business, we collaborate with consumer electronic manufacturers, and we provide them our software, which is what enables that, our head-tracking software, but most important, our user-adapted audio DSP, and we work with the manufacturers, with the brands, consumer electronic brands, and with their manufacturing partners to really make products out of technology. And if somebody is listening to the podcast, I would like to that they can get in contact with us, and we would like to work with them in creating innovative products. We really think that the future of sound is spatial, and we want to be part of it. Marcos, as we're wrapping up, on behalf of AudioCynic, do you have any message to our listeners and the wider immersive audio community? Call to action, if I can, I will say three things. The first one is that I encourage everybody that is listening and that really want to understand how is our technology to buy the Razer Leviathan B2 Pro because it's really, really a new experience, a new, a new way of listening to spatial audio and is now available in the market. Second is that... Um, any audio brands, any manufacturers that want to create innovative products, they can get in touch with us and we will be very happy to create products with them and to help them. Same with them with Razer. And, and third is um, anybody who is interested on contributing to changing the way that we consume spatial audio. We are a company that is growing and we, are, we need a enthusiastic, good people to work with us from audio R&D to audio software development in Windows and Linux to computer vision engineers. So we are a very good place to work. We are doing something very unique and we will welcome all of them. We encourage also anybody that has any question about our technology to just go to our webpage and write to info.audiocynic.com and we will be very happy to talk with them and explaining more questions that they may have. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash immersive audio podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community 
at audiopodcast.org.